The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein powered chicken bites. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jimmy McGinnis in his life. Welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five o'clock. We're streaming live as well now. So as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube and Facebook. And you can also listen or watch on the new OTB Sports app available for iOS and Android. This is the Saturday panel. Can't wait for this. The subject matter this week, football goalkeepers. The number ones. So we all know and love our goalies. Shea Given, Pat Bonner. Emma Byrne, Peter Schmeichel, Casper Schmeichel, Iker Casillas, Manuel Neuer, René Higuita, all these great names, these stars of the game over so many years. So over the next hour, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a number one on the pitch. And we're delighted to be joined by three goalkeepers, David Ford, the Galway native who won 24 caps for the Republic of Ireland, Alex Stepney, a league, FA Cup and European Cup winner with Manchester United, and regular OTB contributor David Priest, the current goalkeeping coach of Ustershun FK in Sweden, and a former netminder with Aberdeen and Darlington. David, Alex and David, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Afternoon, John. Hey, John. Hi, everyone. Yeah, hope, hi. You're all, hope you're all well, lads, and, and coping as, as well as you can in uh, this strange time in the, in the world. Um, we'll just get straight to it. Uh, what, makes a, <laughs> what, ma- what makes a good goalkeeper? I was reading Kasper Schmeichel um, on this, tips on being a good goalie, which were being aggressive, knowing your angles, using your legs, being a sweeper, wearing oversized and colourful shirts was one of them, and forgetting about mistakes. We'll just start off with you, David Ford. What makes a good goalie? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely been a, a, a journey for myself to figure that one out. But I definitely think like that, it, definitely what, what Casper is actually saying, you can relate to all those levels and layers. Um, for me, a big part of it was communication and how you communicated with your, your players, your management, your team. But most importantly, the communication you have with yourself. Um, and that didn't come to me till later in, later in my career when I started to realise the, um, the power of that and uh, that level of self-talk and the stories we actually tell ourselves and like that walking out into the pitch some Saturdays and in front of big crowds and you know that little doubt in your mind but that gets you into some such a you know a goalkeeper's ability to deal with challenge and um, I think we all love that level of a, a challenge so how, how we deal with challenge um, how we communicate with, with others and uh, communicate with ourselves so that's probably one of the key areas where, where I'd see within the game and um I'm dying to hear what the, the lads' thoughts are on it as well. David Priest, take it away. Yeah, I mean, like uh, David said, they agree with all that, agree with all that Casper uh, said. But but for me, it's a it's a mindset, it's a it's a mentality. I think first and foremost, it's about keeping the ball out of the net and having that that will, that desire to uh, to not be beaten. And even when you are beaten, it's about sort of resetting again and having that same mentality, which again, when we go back to mindset, we talk about uh, mental strength uh, and it takes a great deal of mental strength to be able to, 
to keep that level of mentality all the time. And it's uh, for being a goalkeeper and being a good goalkeeper, the first step is actually wanting to be in the position, is actually, you know, loving the position, knowing what the jobs are, knowing what the, the pitfalls are and dealing with them all the way. But uh, yeah, mindset for me is the, is the biggest thing. Alex, you've been so many years involved in the game. What makes a great goalkeeper? Well, I think, uh, I mean, a bit different for me. I mean, I'm going back 50, over 50 years now, you know, when I played. Uh, and because the game's changed, as you probably talk about later. But the actual thing from my point of view, I was on my own. I didn't have goalkeeper coaches. Uh, I had to watch the game. I had to watch the goalkeepers, you know, uh, go to go to first division games, as it was in those days, and, and, and watch the other keepers. Um, you were, the, and I always, it's your own mind. You're the custodian of that six-yard box or penalty spot six-yard box for an eight-yard, eight-foot-high goal mouth. And you don't want the ball there. So you, what the lads are saying, the organisation, that's what it's all about. You have to, I did, I had to tell my defenders and players around me that on certain situations, corners, free kicks, whatever, you do what I want and that's how, I, that's how I done it. And Alex, back then, you had no uh, gloves a lot of the time and you had a back pass rule. Uh, we had a back pass rule. We could pick it up. And, uh, but then everything seemed to have changed over the years for goalkeepers, the rules for what goalkeepers would do. I mean, uh, there was a four-step four rule. You had to bounce the ball. Then you could go four steps again. Then you had a four-second. You had a four-second. You, you had to release the ball uh, that, when you got the ball. Uh, and then you had, you could only do four steps before you could really, you had to release the ball. I mean, all these things came into, but you adjusted to it. You, you, you worked on that yourself. I didn't have goalkeeper coach. There's goalkeeper coaches in every club now. There, there was no goalkeeper coaches in, in my day. So I had, I had, to, I had to learn to do what I, uh, get the players to do what I wanted them to do. And I would react to the situation. It's, it's as simple as that. But, you know, we had to catch the ball in my day. <laughs> <laughs> and then if, you, if anyone headed the ball in the six-yard box into the back of that, you wouldn't be playing next week. There you go. <laughs> Did you have gloves, Alex? Yeah, you had Well, I mean, I didn't really want to wear gloves. There was no The first glove that ever really came out uh, was a guy called Ron Springett, who was England goalkeeper back in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, before just before Gordon Banks actually, and he brought out a glove, which was string, and uh, it had table tennis sort of pimples down the fingers. That was that was all it was. But you know, I tried him out at West Brom. He first when he sent them to me, I tried him out at West Brom. It was pouring the rain. It was mid December. It was a mud bath, and uh, we were winning four three at half time. And uh, when I was dressing him at half time and threw him in the skip, that was it, gone, <laughs> finished. <laughs> and, the, and the game finished 4 3, so there we go. <laughs> As Michael Oakes used to say to me, he said, Was your fingerprints on any of the goals, no? <laughs> <laughs> Probably were. <laughs> Didn't you, Reece, you started off at Sunderland, you're now coaching. Has glove technology changed? What has changed uh, even in, since you started playing and, and now coaching? I mean, th glove technologies—it's uh, you know you, you can't even compare to even when I was when I was growing up to, to compare to now. I think just going back to what Alex was yeah. saying there as well about when I was starting my career, 
my first goalkeeping coach at Sunderland was uh, Jimmy Montgomery, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, obviously yeah. a peer of Alex's, and um, mm. and I, and I kind of relate more to to that sort of era than I probably do to today's as as a player myself. And I think that a lot of the um, a lot of the the things that Alex was talking about there uh, were fed to me through by uh, Jimmy Montgomery. And, and even at that time, you know, some people think that, you know, how far back the game's gone and how it's come on now with the, with the amount of analysis and everything. But I always thought that goalkeepers were the were natural analysts. We were the ones who thought about the game the most. And Alex just saying that about going to watch games, going to watch keepers, how they played, how they did things, even, you know, going to watch other teams to, to see how they set up and how they play. That's that's what goalkeepers are about. We're about the details, and that's why we we I think we make be- much better analysts. And you say, hey, well, yeah, sorry, can I just uh, pop in there uh, uh, and basically say, yeah, we we use we use our we had to use our own minds. Uh, yeah. It was our brain that done it. You, do you understand what I mean? Today, our exchange, it's done by the book, unfortunately, but you know, as by the kids coming through. Don't forget back in our day, or my day, should I say, that you know you could only join a, a professional football club when you finished school at 15. So, and there was only four teams. There was a first team, reserve team, A and B, youth team, and that was it. Not like today when they pick kids up at seven and you've got, you've got coaches uh, from wherever uh, doing it by the book. Mm. Were you then, in a way, David Ford as well, self-taught when you were like at Galway and Barrytown and these clubs before you ended up with that long spell at Millwall? Yeah, um, definitely when I was younger, um, I was lucky, I suppose, growing up on the west coast of Ireland. And yeah. I had um, I had a goalkeeping coach at the time called Tommy Lally, who was um, would have been involved with Celtic and then came back and played League of Ireland. So I would have, from maybe 15, 16 onwards, would have had a session once a month or something like that. But never, as you said, it was always done through the power of observation, the power of uh, watching and that, that my imagination just started to flourish after that like you know after hearing about so many greats in the game and goalkeeping back then I always felt had a prestige you know there was always you know the likes of Alex, Dino Zoffs, Gordon Banks um, and when I was growing up you know John Grizovich uh, <laughs> just just amazing amazing goalkeepers back then and I don't know was it there's parts of me that thinks because I was young and I was so engrossed and so in love with the game that it just felt so much more and so much better. And then as you get that bit older and it becomes your job and it becomes your work, it loses that sense of um, esteem in it. Like, you know, and you don't, you've kind of, it doesn't have that what you had as, a, as that young child, you know, that kind of, you know, child vibes, like, you know, but I definitely think where, where the lads are going there in terms of that ability to observe, that ability to witness the game, because we're, we're, we're individuals, but yet within a team. But yet at the same time, you know, we're always treated as that by teammates as well. You know, we always the GK union and we have to be strong and stay together. <laughs> and uh, we're kind of singular, but yet we're still part of the team. And we can see all the dynamics that's going on between defenders, between the fielders, what's going on in the changing room with the managers, because we were spelled so long in games and it's such a lonely place at times. We could be out of the game for 15, 20 minutes and trying to keep your focus, trying to keep that one pointed. You know, I always think back to when my dad, my dad used to always um, take the mick out of me, God bless him, he passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, he used to say I used to build sandcastles as a kid, you know, when the game was going on, and yeah. um, trying to get out of those habits as I grew up was, was, was definitely a challenge, but it was all self-taught, it was all self-directed learning. 
Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, sorry, I, I think it's you know it's interesting that we're talking about this now about how we're learning, and how things were done sort of in Alex's time because we're coming back to that now. You know, I think where we got to a point where things were too structured, so then it restricts a goalkeeper. So if you've always in a mindset of where you you know I have to do this in this situation, I have to do this to try and be so perfect instead of just playing the game as it is and what's required at the time. And what you've got now is. Uh, coaching and, and teaching methods where you're trying to get young players to learn without actually telling them what to do. So you put them in situations where they're forced to, to come up with the answers themselves. And that's exactly what's, what, what Alex is on about. So as much as we're talking about how things have changed since then, you know, things are coming back to exactly those sort of um, methods. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I coached at Man City for six years as a goalkeeper coach, and I finished up at Burnley. And, that, and during that time, I, I don't whether you get them now, I don't know. But uh, from I used to get these magazines from the from the FA uh, coaching uh, from the academy and everything like that. What you must teach young kids, goalkeepers, and where to stand them at corners and free kicks. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't not believe it. You've got to learn. You are the one who's supposed to be doing that and realising where, where you want your players and how you're going to uh, attack the ball when that ball comes into that, like I said, 12-yard, uh, six-yard box. Simple as that. Uh, and that, to me, has been the problem with a lot of things with the way goalkeeping has uh, been pursued over the years. When you see like, uh, Alisson making mistakes like lads, like last week, and he's a great goalkeeper yeah. for Liverpool, or Kepa yeah. maybe suffering from a bit of crisis confidence, or David De Gea been in and out of form, can you put your finger, guys, on why that is? Is it maybe overcoached? Is it just a confidence thing? Why do we see, I suppose maybe with the great goalkeepers we think of, like Buffon or Neuer or uh, Levy yeah, yeah. maybe it's the lack of mistakes that's, uh, single, that separates them. Is that true? Every goalkeeper makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, and, and we can get punished for it, but you don't have to do them every week. That's that's the thing. And, and, and today, with everything the way the games progress uh, via television and, and everything else, it's you know game after game after game. It's it's being highlighted, and and these the players, are, you know, the, these keepers who, who make mistakes, like you're saying, uh, I, I see it now. I can't honestly. I cannot believe that a, a goalkeeper will pass the ball to his centre-half or his full-back in and around his box, because I know he can't pick it up, but pass it to him, and then they pass it back to him. Now, what's that all about? Because you don't want the ball around that box. You want the ball up the field. You want to be scoring goals. Do you want to come in on that, guys? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean... I mean it, it, <laughs> From that perspective, you know, Alex was right that you know you don't you don't want the ball around your box. But of course, in these days of sort of high press, you know, you've got to find a way that uh, that you can get round that. And um, and players, uh, goalkeepers do take more risks than what they used to as well. But yeah. also, I think I also think it's a, it's a positive where I don't think that you know that Allison uh, it was anything to do with a lack of confidence him passing there mm. it's a, moment, a couple of moments of slackness where he's perhaps overconfident you know we see him doing this uh, these kind mm. of passes all the time playing playing rounds uh, forwards it's, it's exactly the same as Edison does and, and most of the time to great effect so and so it, in those terms it's about trying to take 
as many of the opposition out of the, of the equation, but without, you know, putting things in your favour, you know, rather than just putting things up to the halfway line or whatever and making it a 50-50 ball, you know, it's about having more control over the game. And, and I actually think it's a positive that we've, we've got away from this. I remember when I played it, you know, there was a fear factor around the ball coming back to you. You just wanted it away from you and wanted it as far away as possible. And that's great. But what's been removed is that fear factor. You know, people aren't fearful of the ball coming back to them anymore. There's, you know, there's no apprehension there. And I think that's the way it should be, really. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying there. And like that, it depends on, I suppose, the, um, the, the way the team actually played, the way they've set up and how the manager and how the team want them to play. And if the manager wants you to do that and wants you to play that, you have to do what you have to do to stay in the team. And that's the way they want to play. And the good managers will actually turn around and actually realise. And I've, I've had some managers in the past where, like what Alex was saying earlier on, ball comes back to you, just get it as far as up the field as you can. And that was, that was part of the strategy. That was part of what you do. And then you get labelled as, well, he's not really comfortable with the ball at his feet. And you're going, of course I'm comfortable with the ball at my feet, but the manager's told me to do X, Y, and Z. But if he wants me to pass it out, I'll pass it out. And, he's, and the, the good managers will actually say, well, if it gets cut out, you know, nine times out of ten, you'll get it right. And if you concede one, he said, I hold my hands up in, in that situation. And it's the same with coming for a cross. So I had um, Paul Cook, and he was excellent for me in that situation. Mm. He understood because I was always a front foot goalkeeper. I loved, you know, my GA background. I loved the high ball. I loved crosses into the box. And I was always willing, as Alex said, to get into the six-yard box, into the penalty area. And as he said, you know, if you come for, if you come for 10 crosses and you miss, you miss one, keep coming, keep coming, keep going. And, you know, when you look at the likes of David James, the, the level of stick he used to get in the press and the media was, um, you know, it was a lack, a, lack, a lack of understanding of what the position and what the actual role was. Because if you go and you speak to some of his centre-halves and you speak to some of the players he would have played with, they said he was one of the best goalkeepers he ever played with. Mm. And it shows a level of courage that you keep coming, you keep coming. It's very, it's very easy to stay on your line and step back. And as, as uh, Priestley said earlier on there about the fear, the fear factor. And if you're fearless, and that doesn't mean you don't, you lose your fear. It just means you're fearless. And that's what makes the great keep, keepers is the ones that are, that are fearless in those situations that will make them, they make them out and keep going. Because to be a goalkeeper, it takes huge courage. It takes huge strength to go out every week and cross over that white line. And there's some weeks you're going out there and you're lower than a snake's belly. But you know, you know, you got a roof over your head and you got to survive. And you still have to, you have to turn up. And whether that's in front of five people or 20,000 people or 100,000 people, whatever that is. So it's definitely uh, a unique role. Don't, don't get me wrong, uh, David, when, when I said get it up the field. I mean, uh, you, you want, you want you, you, your distribution is, is, is going to be spot on. Now, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about David De Gea. When he first came to Manchester United, Okay, okay, he looked a bit slight, he didn't, whatever. But his distribution off the deck was absolutely fantastic. He found a player all the time, 99 times out of 100. He's not doing that anymore. Mm. Now, why, 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 why is that happening? Because you have to play around the box. I, don't, I, don't, I, just, I just don't get it. I mean, okay, kicking out your hands is, is, is a different thing. But I, I wanted to throw the ball out. Mm. I, wanted to, I wanted us to keep the ball going forward, start a counter-attack. Simple as that. It's a rarity to see someone throwing a no, isn't it? It's well, like, that, that, that's right. But uh, I mean, the only reason I, I could do that is because whenever I got the ball, 
either if the ball came in from my right and I took the cross or whatever, I knew that my left fullback, whoever it was, was Tony Dunnett, it could have been Arthur Orbison, Stuart Houston, they'll be on their bike. <laughs> Boom, into space. And I'm going forward, like you said. You got the ball, you're going forward. Boom, we're off. Yeah. That to yeah, me, yeah. that to me is goalkeeping. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's probably the most underused weapon that a goalkeeper's got lately, especially when you talk about accuracy, how accurate yeah. it can be with that throw over distance as well. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, just don't, I just don't get it. I, I just cannot get the fact that you can play about, pass the ball to your centre-half, and he pass it back to you. Why is he passing it? Why doesn't he turn and go forward? Hmm. And make, and make there must be other players. There's nine other players who, who should be making space somewhere. What is the best way, guys, to communicate with defenders? Uh, were you shouting <laughs> goalkeepers? Uh, how uh, can you be most effective as a goalkeeper to make sure the people around you support you? Well, I, I, used, to, I used to do what I, I used to tell them what I wanted them to do, like I just said. I, I mean, they knew whenever I got the ball, whatever side I was on, they'd be off. And I wouldn't, we, we, we're in control. We've still got the ball because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find them to beat in, in, into space. If, for instance, that no one, if they were marked up, okay, then I would try and drive the ball to, to, to me, the two front men to control. I think when, when, uh, when I was younger, I always thought that I needed to be this sort of authoritative figure, you need to be loud and. Um, and also, it, it helped me stay in the game by yeah. talking all the time, talking, talking to my defenders. And, and also, it gives a sort of signal to the opposition as well that, you know, if you're, if you're loud and you, you, you're sort of giving directions with authority, you have an effect on them as well. But as I got older, and probably this, around 29, 30, when I, when I moved over to Denmark and I had four years over there, when I had... I, I, because of the language, I, I had to be more precise. I couldn't just be talking all the time because to a lot of the Danish lads, it probably mm. just sounded like like white noise coming from behind them, and they wouldn't take a, they wouldn't take any notice of a lot of what I was saying. So I think it's over the years I I, normally, I got to thinking that it was you need to just be specific and precise with what you needed to say, but also you had to say it with authority. You know, the, in football matches, there's no times for please or thank you. You know what I mean? You've got, to, uh, you've got to make yourself heard and you've got to be direct with what, whatever you say. Yeah, it takes me back to um, my old school teacher, Jim Brennan. And he was over the Irish schools um, teams back in the day. And he used to always say to me about my concentration levels. And he always to say, you know, you need to work on your concentration. And I was like, how do I work on my concentration levels? And he said, you know, um, commentate on the game. Commentate in the game. So I used to be talking to myself during the game. And I'd be channeling my inner John Motson, you know, and be like, all oh, head is. <laughs> you know, talking the game and running around the goal. And it used to be some crack. But, um, yeah, like that, with, with years of experience. And it only came later in my career, like what the lads were saying there that I, because of my size, I'm, I'm a, a, the dominant and authority figure, that I could have been over-dominant uh, in situations. And using that type of, um, to, to get a result wasn't always uh, effective because it was instilling fear again in, in, in me defenders and players and stuff. Sometimes it had to be done. And then you start to understand, right, well, how can I speak to certain players? What type of individual is that person? Does he need that unconditional support, that arm around the shoulder? Can I give him a bit of love and be like, yeah, brother, you're, you're part of the team here. You're part of the core. Just keep it going. You keep going. I believe in you. Or is it a case of you have to grab someone 
you know what I mean? Mm. And I've grabbed one or two in the past and it's something I'm not proud of, but, you know, we got a result and we got a game. Yeah, yeah. I think afterwards and we got on with it, like, you know, so understanding that different, there's so many different team dynamics within that situation that it's not about just the, the one glove fits all, forgive the pun, like, but, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Okay, guys, well, you got to uh, take a break. Oh, right, okay. No worries. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with more of our football goalkeeping chat with David Ford, Alex Stephanie, and David Priest after this. Don't go away. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. Welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk, where this week's Saturday panel is dedicated to football goalkeepers. We're streaming live as well, so as well as listening on News Talk, you can also watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope on Twitter, at Off the Ball, on YouTube, and on Facebook. You can also listen or watch on the new OTV Sports app available for iOS and Android. We're delighted to be in the company of three special guests this afternoon. David Ford, a Galway native, 24 caps for the Republic of Ireland. Alex Stepney, a League FA Cup and European Cup winner with Manchester United. And regular OTB contributor David Priest, the current goalkeeping coach of Ostersund FK in Sweden and the former netminder with Aberdeen, Barnsley and Darlington. Just to go through some tweets here, lads, we've got in from the uh, listeners and the viewers. Uh, Shane Whelan, the best and worst position to play, often the villain, rarely the hero. Only man not allowed to make a mistake on the field. Uh, you'll be remembered for the mistakes, but you'll always remember being the saviour. Love David Seaman growing up. Uh, Robert Vahey currently coaching DDSL under 10s to 18s. Keepers today have to play in the edge of the box like an extra defender. Keeper sweeper. Michael Conan, for me, the golden age of goalkeeping was the 80s. Some of them great characters too. Dino Zoff, Harold Schumacher, Arcanada, Dasayev, Pat Jennings, Peter Shilton, Ray Clemens, Joe Cargan, Neville Southall. I could go on. Uh, Kieran won Division 3A in the UCL undefeated in 2007. Could have made the League of Ireland level at least had I applied myself. Best ever, in my opinion, is Neuer. Changed the game, invented sweeper, keeper, had it all, agility, distribution, reflexes, World Cup and Champions League winner, as well as countless league trophies. Michael Sullivan, my second match, a Beamish Cup game away to Court McSharry on the side of a cliff with a gale, using someone else's gloves with holes in them, kept a clean sheet, top saves, including a penalty, one of the greatest days I had on the pitch. A Paul Drummond, my experience, some good games, some bad ones. One thing I always thought would they make a great captain. So Buffon, Casillas, Zoff, Neuer, Kahn, even Lloris, all winners of huge trophies for club and country, sometimes both. Couple more, Shane Dawson, finally a whole section of a sports show devoted to goalkeepers. It's about bloody time. My all-time favorite <laughs> player is and always will be Carlo Cudicini. Wholly underrated and Andy McNulty. Great to see keepers getting some specific airtime. There's a one, two, three of Petr Cech, Gianluigi Buffon, and Iker Casillas. All had fantastic careers, played into their 40s, and inspired so many young keepers over the years. Just a selection of some of the great comments we've got in, lads, today. Present company ex accepted. <laughs> Alex Stepney, David Ford, and David Priest. Who's the best goalkeeper you've ever seen and why? Alex Stepney. Oh, uh, I'd say Buffon actually. Um, over the over the years, I, I thought he was a, he's a great uh, great keeper. The way I mean, his size is is the difference now. I mean, that is the difference between goalkeepers today. They're a lot taller than what they were in my day. Uh, but in today's game, I, I've got to say, Manuel Neuer. I saw him play against Manchester United in Schalke uh, 2011, and he had a magnificent game. Although he got beat two 0 Alex Ferguson walked from, from the bench and shook his hand after the game. And I always thought that at that time, because Edwin van der Sar was sort of coming to the end of his career, that he, would, he was going to sign him, but it didn't materialise. Why? I don't know. And David Priest? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with Buffon. He's a, he's a big favourite of mine, you know. And, and I, I, the thing I like about him is the the simplicity in, in mm. which he does things. You know, there, there wasn't, there's not not a lot of uh, over elaborate saves. Not, you know, he's, he's not making things look spectacular. He's just he's very solid, very reliable. And of course, he, I mean, he played behind some of the best defenses there's ever been at Juventus and in the Italian national side. But I mean. As a kid, I had two massive favourites. Uh, Bruce Grobelar, he was a huge favourite of mine, and, uh, and Neville Southall, mm-hmm. who, uh, who in, in those mid-80s, I think there's no doubt that he was, uh, he was the best keeper in the, in the world at that time. Yeah, I had a pair of um, Bruce Grobler's Umbro gloves, and there was actually <laughs> <laughs> a picture of them on the index finger. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to get my hands. They were orange, yellow, and green. I think they were the, the background, were they? Um, so yeah, he was like that. He was a massive Liverpool fan as well. Grobler was an absolute hero, and I just loved when he used to dance along that that penalty line. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've tried that in a few nightclubs, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think I think today for me is um, and he's still playing is is Casillas, and like that Buffon as well. I, I, I get caught up, and there's so many for so many different reasons. You know, you can think right, one's great on crosses, one's a great shot stopper, one's a great kicker. And you have all these different attributes. And if you could combine them all into one, then you're thinking, right, we got we got an absolute mm-hmm. superkeeper. But for me to see to see Casillas at the Euros and like that as well, you know, people used to talk about, you know, seeing watching people on on um TV. But when you see someone live, like with Alex, and you see someone live, they just carry an aura and a presence mm-hmm. about them. And he just I well, I'm not joking, he just carried that team on his shoulders and winning a World Cup, European Championships playing for Madrid and he was as cool as a cucumber you know not not a bother not a problem on him like you know and uh, yeah so for me I think I think Casillas and in terms of what he's gone to win and, and everything else and for his size like what Alex said yeah. for his size in today's game he, he absolutely smashed them mm-hmm. your experiences guys over the years uh, over so many countries and different clubs and, and, and internationally and that uh, David Ford, 33 years of age, you make your competitive debut for the Republic of Ireland against uh, Sweden. Uh, what was the highlight uh, for you in your career? Was it playing against the world champions Germany in Gelsenkirchen? Um, John O'Shea's late winner, or was it something else? Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's up there. Um, there's probably two or three games with Ireland like that. The couple of Germany games and playing against England at Wembley was special after 25 years. Um, but I definitely think, yeah, probably that night in Gelsenkirchen playing against the world champions and uh, one nil down, making a save against Goethe to keep us in the game. And I remember just speaking to John O'Shea. I remember, like we were saying about that level of encouragement, I just had this feeling. I was just like, come on, John, like, let's go, lad. We, we've still got a chance. We've still got a chance. And I remember him just kind of looking at me like, you know, they had about 86% possession. <laughs> so next thing we get a chance, ball flies into the box. And I was like, John, where are you going? And next thing he just kept beeline, kept going. And next thing he slides in, past Neuer, and we draw we, we draw one all. And the uh, place just went absolutely erupted. And it was right over stuff. He was on his, his 100 cap. And before the game, he got a golden cap. And it looked amazing. I was just thinking, wow, that's, that's, that's special. <laughs> So that that was a, a, a huge, it was a euphoric night. Like, you know, afterwards, I was I was high as a kite for about three weeks afterwards. You um, played for Trap and you played for Martin O'Neill, David. We all know what they're like publicly and as managers. Uh, what were they like behind the curtain? Was it what you see is what you got? Or how did you find them as, uh, as managers? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was so fascinated by Trap. He's so fascinated me because of the godfather of, of football. 
and all of a sudden he, he's brought me into the side and giving me my caps and stuff and, and just watching him the way he went about and I think he was in his 70s as well at the time and he was born on I think his birthday was on St. Patrick's Day yeah, so he, correct, yeah. Yeah, he had to end up being manager for Ireland didn't he <laughs> so um, Trap came in and like what we were saying earlier what I noticed about him was his ability to observe and witness he had eagle eyes he just noticed everything he sat in the corner um, at the hotel just down by the fire and you know everybody thought he was having chits and chats but he, he just watching everybody's movements what they were doing and stuff and he was so observant. And his, his biggest thing was uh, he was so um, caught up on little details, every little detail. That's all he used to say, every little detail. And he said to get to the top and to get to that level, championships, European Cups, all that kind of things, he said, it was always the little detail that he didn't cover cost him in the end. And I just thought, I just thought that, was, that was phenomenal. But he was, uh, he was an amazing man. And I love the fact that he had great English, and every time we had a bad result, he couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and Martin O'Neill, a motivator. Yeah, very different, very different styles, very different styles. You know, Martin had come in, and like that, it was, it was Martin was a type of manager that, um, like that, he, he'd come in and, as you said, motivate from a different type of space. And when he would, it was, you know, it was inspirational. But then again, I think a lot of it was he handed over a lot of the responsibility to the players as well, you know, for the players to sort it out between them. And whether he did that naturally or whether that was part of his management, um, it was difficult because we only got to see Martin every, you know, every, every, every meeting, which was what we'd have him for eight, nine days beforehand. And that was a few times a year. So it was difficult to see what he was like from, from the day-to-day -day stuff, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, two very contrasting styles and, and managers and, and very successful in, in their own way. So it was great to, you know, to be part of that and, and see, see how they conduct their business. Um, David Priest, I'm looking through your career here from Sunderland, Darlington, Aberdeen and the Scottish Premiership, Barnsley in the Championship, Silkeborg in Denmark. The memorable moments on your jersey you're now coaching? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of moments. I think sometimes... Uh, as a goalkeeper, you can get drawn into those bad times as well. You know, right. they're, they're the ones that can, they can stick out. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I captained an Aberdeen side against Celtic at Celtic Park where we, uh, I think they won like a 70, or they were in a 77-game unbeaten run at Celtic <laughs> Park. And uh, they've beat, oh, beaten and drawn with the likes of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, a lot of these big teams as well. Obviously under Martin O'Neill at the time, and um, yeah, we went there with a decimated team. I think we had a back four with average age of nineteen, uh, three seventeen-year-olds and a, and a twenty-one-year-old, and, uh, and we ended up beating them two one. So it was, um, yeah, that's, you know, things like that. Just a, a great moment. Um, you know, when I was in Denmark, I was you know fortunate enough to to play against um, big sides like FC Copenhagen. You know, they were champions, or they were champions elect. We yeah. Uh, we in front of forty thousand at the national stadium in in Copenhagen and uh, went there and beat them three two and all, all these occasions, especially when you're playing for for sides that are you know not the big two or three sides at the top, you know the, these are the like the giant killing sort of moments that you you really live for you know. Do you still remember that say from Eusebio Alex Stephanie in the '68 European Cup final? <laughs> uh, I'll get reminded about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations that, um, you know, it happens you, you, at, at, at the time. I knew it was close. I mean, I knew it was, uh, I don't know, five minutes to go, four minutes to go. Uh, there was no clocks in our, you know, in our day. I mean, you, you were looking for signs from the bench, but um, and they'd scored 10 minutes, 
before the end. And uh, Nobby Styles was supposed to be familiar with marketing, wasn't he? I mean, it, that was Matt Busby's uh, sort of instructions as we went into the tunnel. You, Mark Eusebio, man for man, like you did two years ago in the semi-final of uh, the World Cup. Uh, I think his contact lenses fell out when he was put through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, hey, it was one of those things. What I did, I, I actually thought... Uh, when the ball was played through and I could see him sort of towering down on me, that uh, it could be like, a, I don't know, a, a 55-45 ball for me. But the Wembley turf in those days, because we never, no, not many teams ever played at Wembley. It was a lush turf. It slowed the ball up. Uh, I did take a step back and then go forward because I always, but when you go forward, you've got a chance. And he always wanted us first to the back of the net, to be honest. And uh, he gave me the chance. I mean, he hit it. He hit it. I mean, he hit it straight at me and it stuck in my chest and uh, knocked me over. That's how hard he but we will hit it. But, um, you know, not at the time because my main interest was, like I said before, Tony Dunn. He knew when I got the ball, he was off and I wanted to start a counter-attack, so I threw in the ball. Uh, and then, because we got into it at the time. That's interesting to reference. Tony very sadly passed away recently. Tony Dunn yeah. and Jay Brennan, both in that team in 1968. Alex exactly. made over 700 appearances between them for Manchester United, a, a completely part of the fabric of the club. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing was that um, when we won the league in, in, in 67, Tony, when I, when I joined the club, because uh, I, I joined in 66, 67 season, Tony was my left full back. Uh, it was either John Fitzpatrick, even Bill Fulton was at right back, but Matt changed it around. And we had a guy come in, a young kid called Bobby Noble, who, who'd, who'd done well for England News. He went to left back because he was a natural left footy player. And Tony Dunn went to right back. And when we won the league, after we drew at Sunderland, I think two or three games before the end of the season, um, he was involved in a car crash, finished him. So Tony put him back. Uh, sorry, Matt took, put Tony back to left back and brought in Shea Brennan at right back. Um, and they were great, great players. I mean, when you talk about the Irish connection with me, I mean, I didn't start, you know, I didn't turn pro till I was, I was in, in my twenties, you know, and uh, I joined Millwall. I mean, in the sixties, Millwall was and renowned. Did, and David ended up there as well. I know, I know. And I tell you what, that they that was my apprenticeship because that's made me into a man in the in the professional game. And I had at centre half Ray Brady. Liam Brady's, uh, is it his cousin, uh, his uncle or something? Uh, Pat, Pat Brady was a left fullback. I had Joe Haverty at left winger, ex-Arsenal and Era International. And I tell you what, but all these guys, I tell you what, they taught me how to be hard. That was my apprenticeship, which got me on uh, to where I got, in, you know, throughout my career. Work hard and play hard, hopefully. You, the Brian, or was Brian King before or after you? Moved? Brian came after me. Brian came after, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came after me, yeah. I mean, there was Barry Kitchener and uh, he was he was there. But we were notorious. Millwall, I mean, we had, we, I think we got the, the record of uh, unbeaten home record or something, you know, back in the, in, the, in the 60s. I mean, I remember we played uh, away to Fulham in the third round of the FA Cup. We were drawn away to Fulham. We won, we, we drew 3-3. Three, three. We were losing 3-1 with two minutes ago. It finished 3-3. Three, three. Harry Cripps scored, of all people, the hard man of Vladimir Wall. But I'll tell you what, the replay was on the Tuesday night and it was raining. And they had Johnny Haynes, they had Bobby Robson. They didn't want to know when they came to Millwall. We beat them 2-0. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Hey, 
even I was I was worried about playing for Millwall with the team right? <laughs> and the supporters behind the goal. My word. Yeah. I, I can't help noticing, and uh, for anybody who's watching our, our social channels at the moment, uh, the picture behind you, Alex, uh, of George mm. Best. Uh, and you trained yeah. with him. He was your teammate. You played with him. Just like yeah. for anybody, like the, the privilege to be able to, to to grace a pitch with that man. Just discuss George Best for us, if you could. Well, it, it, it was a situation. I mean, I mean, you imagine when I mean I, I went to Chelsea for I went to Chelsea for four months. Three months was a closed season. But when Matt Busby signed me. I joined a club with three European, well, basically three European footballers a year, a World Cup winner. Every other player was uh, 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 internationals. I mean, Noel Campbell was club captain at the time. Uh, and he was coming to the end. And Morris Setters was there. But it's un unbelievable to play with Bestie. I mean, there was Matt Busby, manager, management was incredible. He, he picked players like a jigsaw puzzle. He didn't pressurise you. Go out and enjoy yourself. There was ne he never swore. Matt Busby never swore. Can you imagine that from a manager today? He never swore. Just let you go out and enjoy yourself. Go out and play. Go out and entertain. If you got if something is going wrong, we'll we'll win. Bobby Charlton used to come in. If we were drawing nil nil at half time or losing one nil, we'll score four. And we used to go out and do that. That was the way we played. Fantastic. I don't think you could do that today. <laughs> <I'm George Bell. laughs> George Best was just... Well, George Best was... I mean, George would do things in, in training. He would do things in training. And, and then you think, how do you do it? Why did you do that? I mean, one against one against me, you know, in, in training. And he would practice it, right, I'm going to come at you one against one. Do what you would do in a game. And, you know... He would come in from my left and I'd be trying to push him to me right. I, I couldn't do it. He'd come straight at you, straight at you. The ball was never more than six inches from his toe. And he had pace. And directly you dive, went to dive at his feet, that situation. He toe-poked the ball, he hit your shin, bounced back to him and he put the ball in the empty net. You know, I mean, and then on the, he'd done that on a Friday before we played Liverpool on a Saturday at Anfield. And he'd done it at Anfield. He'd done it against Tommy Lawrence at Anfield. Bang. Yeah, class. Sadly, it's 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 very sad to to, to see that Nobby's passed away. Nobby Styles of mm. dementia. We had Martin Peters and Ray Wilson of that England World Cup winning team. Our own, our hero, as David and would know, Jack Charlton Jack, passed away Jack, of, yeah. of dementia. Yeah. Bobby has it now. Are you surprised, Alex? Uh, on a serious note, that um, there has been so many cases of that with uh, the way footballers are heading those those heavy balls back in the day. I'm not surprised the way it's turned out. I mean, because. Even before, before this came up, even before Bobby played, and I mean, what went on before? There was players, you know, used to be doing that. We probably didn't, we wouldn't have known about this dementia side of it, uh, and because of football. Um, no, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I just, I just feel that, um, you know, the, the way it's turned out, something's got to be done. You know, I mean, obviously Jeff Astor was was one uh, who his daughters obviously and yeah. his, his his wife are, are pushed on about it and why not? But it, it, it's 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 incredible. It, it, I mean, look, you've got three goalkeepers on. I mean, how many of us have been knocked out? I've been knocked out a few times, concussed. Well, you know that that's part and partial. I mean, we're lucky. I'm lucky. I'm I'm 78 now. I mean, I, I think I'm doing all right. I mean, Nobby was the same age great. as me. Yeah. Hey? You're yeah, doing nobody, great. Nobody's the same as me. But I mean, 
the thing is about, well, you say you're a goalkeeper, you, you don't have the ball. In training, we, we, we used to join in five sides and heading the ball and, and everything. It, it, the game's changed today. Uh, uh, hopefully, the lighter ball might make that difference. I don't know. The, the lads on with you will probably tell me that. I don't know. Yeah, David Priest, you, you had concussions. You, you've experienced this. Yeah, I've, I've had quite a few. I think it's just because the yeah. um, game back at Celtic Park, you know, that was which was my first concussion. I ended up in hospital for four days with um, post-traumatic amnesia, just where you mm. have a short-term memory loss. And then after that, it, it, it seemed like, I don't know whether it was in boxing terms, uh, you'd, you'd say I'd had a, a glass jaw. You know, so every time I was getting knocks to the head, you know, yeah. fairly severe knocks, it was it was it ended up in in sort of a concussion related incidents and so I, I probably had eight or nine that were um, documented a few more that you know that I've just you know, stupidly tried to get through and just not report it to the physio and then uh, just hope that I'm all right in the next couple of days and it's um, yeah it, it's maybe it's it's we haven't got the same issue with heading the football as outfield players have as well but Alex and Dave will tell you that it's you know, in training, you know, it, when you're going one-on-one -on -one and you're trying to block the ball, you know, you get that ball full force in the face, you know. Yeah. It, it, that can happen quite often. If you relate that to somebody punching you, you know, it's exactly the same. And, you, you know, you, you, you get shook for a little bit and you and you try and shake it off. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that's the barrier that needs needed to be overcome, that players, and especially goalkeepers, didn't feel the need to be brave that they didn't need to feel this sort of macho attitude. Oh, I'll just, I'll be all right. I'll get on with it. I think it's been a great step forward, especially with the uh, the concussion substitutes that they're trialing out now. Yeah, that players don't have to worry about that. They don't have to take the risk because the the, uh, the research is there. You know that if if you take a blow to the head and then you take one uh, pretty soon afterwards in the game, you know that second one is going to be so much do so much more damage than that first one. So it's it's, it's pretty important that they they pulled out quickly. And we saw with Issa Diop uh, coming on for Ryan Fredericks, the first one for West Ham during the week. I know we're against the clock a bit here, David Ford. I'm just interested in a few specific questions, guys, before we wrap up. And we've been a brilliant chat. We could talk for another hour. Uh, David Ford, would you like to see Cueven Kelleher play in the World Cup qualifier against Serbia next month? I think it's a difficult one, and it's a difficult decision. Um... And it's, it's, it comes down to me really over experience always trumps ability. And I definitely think, you know, Darren has the experience. They're both in similar kind of positions. You know, they're both as number two roles at the moment. And it's great to see Keevan getting his chance and getting the opportunities. But he's not playing either, you know. So when, when it comes for it for me, I still think Darren still has, has the edge and still has the shirt at the moment. Just because basically off, off the experience. Um, and if Keevan was playing week in, week out, then, then yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a no-brainer then, like, you know, so I definitely think at the moment, as it stands, I, I think it'll probably be the status quo, but then again, that's down to uh, Stephen to decide, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the issue of abuse and social media and uh, the way it was for you guys on the pitch, um, David Ford, uh, did you, like, notice stick on the pitch? Did you hear it when there's a, hu a huge crowd there? Um, did it affect you? Did you block it out? What was your experience? I spent nine years at Millwall. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got silly, quest, silly question. <laughs> Peter Check had one of those rugby hats. I had a little hard hat. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, 
Um, yeah, it was always, yeah, you're always going to hear it. And um, it was just dealing with it. I was lucky. I had a, a great goalkeeping coach and Alex probably would have played against him and known him was uh, Tony Burns. Yeah. And Burns, he was, you know, he was at Millwall for 18 years. So he knew the club inside and out. He knew what it took to be successful there. And, you know, like that, when you're getting grief and you're getting, getting stick, he used to always say, don't feed it, you know, don't feed it. Just keep your focus on the game. And once, once you turn, once you give them a look or once you say something or a gesture, then they have you. Then they know they got you. They got you where they want you. So the hardest part was like, for me, was like, don't turn around, don't say anything, don't try. <laughs> focus and just keep focusing on the games. And I often remember up at Ellen, Ellen Road playing in the semi-finals of the playoffs. And they were launching pound coins and they were hitting me in the ankles. And after the game, then after winning, it was great because I must have picked up about 60 quid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always, there always ways to do things. And there's been in the past where I've been stupid and done stupid things. And, you know, it's turned to bite me in the, in the backside and concede a goal or whatever else. Like, you know, so I think, uh, as you said, with age and experience, you're not to deal with it. Alex, uh, there was a lot of pressure being a man you had a goalkeeper for so long, for 12 years, uh, mm. from the days of Matt Busby to Tommy Doherty, who once again sadly passed away recently. How did yeah. you block out the stick that you would have got from the Stratford basically, end? Basically the same thing as what David said. You, you can't, you can't uh, take notice of them. You, you just, just forget about it. You, you hear it. You can laugh, when you're, you can laugh about it down, uh, facing the other way when you're facing the pitch. Hey, no, just just forget it. Just get on with get on with the game, and it, by ignoring them, they'll get fed up with it. That's how that's to me how it how it seemed. But um, I mean, I I did have a few skirmishes with when I learned when I started in the game, especially uh, when when the goals were you know sort of there was a little wall behind the goal. Uh, I remember playing at Lincoln, uh, and and the ball went for. It hit the top of the roof of the net and fell down. Uh, this guy absolutely gave me stick. He was giving me stick all the game. Uh, and this was in the second half. I thought, well, the second half, he's not going to be there. But he bloody well was because he walked. <laughs> he went round the other to give me stick. And, and he just, it got me. You know, I mean, I had to go and get the ball. And you can imagine you've got this little white wall and the, and the netting's down to the wall. And I had to go and get the ball and he's there giving it. Well, I just turned, um, abs you know, accidentally, I just swung my arm to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I never heard him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> da David Priest, um, it's getting out of hand, this on social media, isn't it? This abuse of, of football yeah, people. Yeah, yeah I mean... It when it comes to a match day, you know, you, you, you expect abuse from away fans if you're playing at home or obviously if you're playing away from their home fans and, you know, there is a certain level that you can take, you know, you, you, you know that they're trying to do a job by putting you off your game and, and forcing you to make an error but when it comes to social media, I'm, uh, I'm glad that I just missed out on that. Twitter's been great. <laughs> Twitter's been great for me. You know, I really enjoy the, being on the platform and, and the, the friends that I've made on it and the opportunities that it's given me sort of media-wise. But I, I just think if I was playing now, say if I was at Aberdeen now, there's no way in the world I'd be on any platform at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see it simply because, like you said, a lot of it just goes too far. And it's... It, It'd be easy to say, oh, don't look at it, or, or it's just it's just a tweet, it's just words. But some of the, the stuff we've been talking about this week in the media with uh, with Steve Bruce, and it's it's vile stuff, you know, and it's when you're sitting reading it, it's it's difficult not to to be affected by it. I mean, I'm lucky, I mean, 
I, I don't really try, uh, I try not to upset a lot of people on social media. So I don't really get a lot of stick myself. But I, I just can't imagine what it'd be like is one of these top players, and especially if you're a, a top black player in the, in the Premier League or in any league, actually, you know, the amount of racist abuse that they get, it's just, it, it baffles me. They don't know that, you know, pe people might think, oh, well, things are getting worse again. Well, it might be, but I think it's just, it's given people who are ordinarily or already there, just giving them the voice to do this. People were already there, and we've yeah. been fooled. We've been fooled into this sense, false sense of security that things were getting better. I think it's clearly not the case. Okay, um, well said, and uh, hopefully the uh, the social media companies and football and the authorities will actually deal with this once and for all. David Ford, I know we, we need to go. Um, just tell us about the coaching you're doing at the moment, and and maybe just to finish, the advice, David, you'd give for a young person maybe listening to this who's a, an aspiring goalkeeper, either a young boy or young girl. Yeah, I think it's just. You know, one thing for me is is just having that belief in yourself. And, you know, for years I, I went around trying to prove people wrong. You know, people that always said, oh, you're not this or you're not that. You'll never make it and stuff like that. And then my own mentor turned around to me one day and he said, David, he said, it's about proving yourself right. And I thought, Jesus, wow, that, that, that absolutely blew me away. So I definitely think that in terms of how we can, you know, like what we said, how, how our confidence gets affected and understanding what the internal influences are on, on, on our performance and what they actually are and looking at those elements and seeing, right, how can I improve myself? How can I progress? And like what the lads were saying, how can I make my mind stronger? And that's the kind of work I do today is, is working, working with the mind because I battled with my own and I made so many mistakes myself. So that's why I feel stepping into this arena and into this zone today in, in terms of helping people with their, their mindset and that ability to um, perform. So, yeah, like that. Let's just keep keep um, keep flying the flag. And uh, David Priest, uh, you're you're are you going to be the next Graham Potter? He coached there at uh, Ostersund in, uh, if I even pronounce that right, in Sweden. What's your advice to uh, briefly to a young person uh, that wants to be a goalie? Yeah, it's a very good question. That I think most of the time it, it, it's about um, you know things that stop a young goalkeeper from progressing is worrying about mistakes. And uh, I think the more you accept that you're going to make mistakes, the easier it is to get over it. And I think that's um, that's the biggest message for me. Uh, even up to the, you know, where I work now is in Alsvenskan, it's an elite level. You know, I still work with the goalkeepers there and just and, and say to them, you know, never to worry about uh, mistakes. Any mistakes that they, they make, you know, especially in games, if they're on TV, high profile, whatever, you know, keep a bit of perspective because I know myself that, you know, you make mistakes. You can, if you can be too tunnel visioned and you can allow these mistakes to, to affect your game. So, um, yeah, that would okay. be it. Not, not to take, say, uh, put too, uh, too much worrying on mistakes. And Alex, definitely you got the final word on this great panel with David Ford and David <laughs> Priest. What is your advice to a young person? All right, well, my advice basically is, is you've got to be brave. You've got to use your own mind. You've got to go and catch that ball. And more than anything, keep in contact with your defence and prove to your, your back four, basically, that they are safe with you, with you behind him. So that's what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. And be brave and catch the blooming ball. Don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't keep palming it here and palming it there. You've got the ball. You're in control. Alex Stephanie, legend. David Priest, legend, and David Ford, legend. You've been so generous to give us your time on Off the Ball Saturday this afternoon. Thanks so much for keeping the ball out of the net for so many years, guys. And stay safe, please, during this uh, tricky time.
Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks guys. This is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. We're back after this. The Saturday panel on Off The Ball. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. <laughs>